Yeah, very gullible. The most. Very gullible. It's kind of sweet and innocent in a way, you know? Like, I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> it's endearing. It really is. Maybe I'm just playing a bit, right? <laughs> leaning into the fact that I'm very gullible. I mean, it all starts It all starts with the, the in arena volume meter. So if you guys don't know this, the you know, you go to an NBA game, at some point, they're going to put, like, a noise meter on the video board. And like that's encouraging the fans to start screaming it louder. And then the meter kind of like it wavers and then it goes higher, higher. And then it hits like the red portion and everybody goes crazy. No, it's it's, it's before it, everyone goes crazy. And then the meter goes up. I mean, because it's accurate. Tom, we were at a game. I can't remember what I was talking about. But I was like, yeah, it's kind of like, the you know, like the, the volume meter. And Tom's like, what do you mean? You know, like the volume meter. It's just a video that they play. It's not actually measuring and Tom was blown away. He's like, what? This wasn't an accurate decibel uh, metric over here? Oh, man. I always thought Utah had a louder crowd against the Bulls in the finals because of white noise. That's good. No, it's not. <laughs> I saw his eyes roll back and Zach Harper possessed my brain. <laughs> just encamped in his body. <laughs> Fucking lights coming out of his eyes. It's like looking in a mirror, only not. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. That's Emile Hassan. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. Welcome to the Haber Show. I'm Tom Haberstro. That's Emile Hassan. You know, maybe I'm leaning into the fact that I'm gullible more and more because I want to keep that bit going in the end. It's not about that I actually believe these things. There's a few game ops things that I'm wise to now. I think that was like the wool was pulled off my eyes and I, and I started looking at game ops a little bit more analytically or a little bit more cynically. <laughs> but not analytically. There's no analytics. It's all on a pre-recorded loop. You know what? The one that really drives me nuts is like the Jimmy Fallon karaoke randomizer is when they have like Kelly Clarkson or Ariana Grande. Yeah. They like get up on stage and they're like, all right, we're going to press this button and randomize. We're going to have this song with this beat. But you got to sing it like this person. Yeah. And then sing it like this person. And they're like, oh, oh man, that's a really difficult. I don't know if I can do it. And then they crush it. Right. Yeah. And then I'm sitting here screaming at my TV because a Jimmy Fallon karaoke bit is is all staged. It's embarrassing. That's like all these videos that go viral of like people freaking out on a subway or whatever. Oh, there's there's a guy who's sitting here and he's naked on the subway. And then he's like, he asks you to pass a great poupon. I'm like, that's not real. These are all like people trying to go viral one way or another. It's funny. What's the NBA version of that that's not game ops related something that everybody knows but somehow everybody doesn't know like everybody on the inside knows the deal but fans have no idea Ooh, that's a good topic for another day i mean i feel like we should start a podcast or something like that that just delves into these things i mean yeah the things that insiders only the insiders a small select few know that the public doesn't really know about these things they're not on the inside so one thing that i think you can decode kind of like figure out who's on the hot seat or who's not on the hot seat in the NBA is contract extensions. I mean, yep. Yep. Contract extensions. This is a great segue to our topic today 
on the Haber Show is Frank Vogel is apparently coaching for his coaching life. His career is on the line. On a game-to-game basis. That's my favorite part. It's like, you better go undefeated, you son of a bitch. Like That's, like, <laughs> that's what game-to-game basis feels like. They're like, wait, but how are we doing this on a game-to-game basis? And it said basically that Utah, that win against the Jazz, basically if they had lost, that would have been it for them. That would have been it. According to The Athletic, Sam Amick and Bill Oram, Frank Vogel was coaching for his job on Monday night in a resounding win over the Utah Jazz in which they held the number one offense to a measly, uh, what was it, 87 points or something like that? Nine, 95 points. The final score was 101.95. The defensive rating for the Lakers was 98.2. So shout out to a suffocating Laker defense. That held the Jazz to, oh, say about, mm, as it pulls up for me here very slowly. Oh, wow. A a strong 15 to 16 points below their normal offensive rating for the season. Right. I got the 87 mixed up with the Hornets, the worst defense, holding the Knicks to 87 points yesterday at the Garden. So Tremendous. What I really want to say is, Imagine winning the title in a bubble and then dealing with all the COVID stuff and still waiting for an extension from your team. Like this is the Frank Vogel situation. The championship is the is the main part. Like this typically doesn't happen to guys who win a ring, but it's typically for a franchise that hasn't won a ring in 11 years, tw- no, 10 years. It was a decade. Right. So the Lakers hire Frank Vogel um, and the hiring process, he came into a situation that already kind of had this black cloud around him when Jason Kidd was bandied about as a name who had to be the assistant coach under whoever is hired for the head coaching job. And Jason Kidd was uh, reportedly like a favorite in the locker room to be the head coach. And Frank Vogel Signs with the Lakers, he's hired, and Jason Kidd is the associate head coach, which is essentially the coach in waiting um, around the league. And so he was already hired into a situation that seemed less than uh, Greg Popovich standards, right? I mean, like this wasn't someone who is going to be – who had a lot of confidence from their organization, right? But then he goes and he wins a goddamn championship in the bubble. Goddamn championship. A goddamn championship. In the bubble, Anthony Davis just goes off in the postseason. LeBron James stays healthy, and they just they win what was a really treacherous season in the NBA, and they prevail and come out on top, faced a lot of adversity, and came out on top. And so, I mean, how does this normally go in the league? Like, if you win a championship, your agent, if you're a coach, is on the phone, right? Right. The, the confetti is falling and the agent is already getting with the organization, right? You pointed out it starts with that first contract, right? Beyond the fact that he didn't get to pick his own assistant coaching staff, which also, which now is becoming more and more the norm, uh, Tom. In the past, it used to be you, you're the head coach, you pick your guys, you bring your guys with you. Um, and, Frank Vogel really didn't wasn't allowed to do that. He got basically told, "This is your team, uh, this is your your staff." And then on top of it, not only are we hiring the staff for you, but we're hiring a guy who interviewed for the head coaching job, and who, as you said, 
the team likes. Oh, by the way, and this is the the most important part here, Frank, uh, Frank, Tom, they gave him a three-year deal. So you are already got a level of pressure on the situation in terms of I don't have a whole lot of time to make good on this. I've got pressure on the situation of I don't even know who in this room is down for me just in general because I didn't hire them. And then pressure on the situation of, oh, also one of these guys, there's a bunch of people in the building who thought he should have been the head coach. So it's like, and I give credit to Coach Vogel in that first year. He like, he, he managed and he, he seemed to be a happy camper about it. And everybody kind of got along. And so you win the championship, as you say, Tom. The goddamn championship. The goddamn championship, excuse me. And as a result, the extension you get gets you how many more years, Tom? Well, they waited a year. He signs an extension, basically a little bit short of the one-year anniversary of winning the championship. A whole last season happens. Yeah. And they're like, mm. By the way, a season where their two best players were hurt for long stretches and the Lakers managed to remain the number one defense in the league. And, you know, a, a competitive team and eventually a playoff team. So a team that was really good before everybody got hurt. So I would say in the first two seasons, he did a decent job, including winning a championship, which, as we know, is not, is not easy. They give him the extension last offseason. The extension is for how long, Tom? <laughs> one year. <laughs> one, one year. One more year. All of that, you get one more year out of it. Which is really not an extension, right? It's essentially no. saying – We'll compromise, but the writing is on the wall. It's a month-to-month lease. You know how like, you sign like a, a, a year, a 12-month lease on your uh, apartment, and then you come up towards the end of it, and you're like, well, I don't know if I want to live here long-term, but I also know I don't have anywhere to move to right now. So can we go month-to-month just to see how it feels until something better presents itself? In this case... The Lakers are the renter, and Frank Vogel is the apartment complex. And you might say, "Oh, that sounds great." No, man, not if not if you're going to be out of a of a tenant, right? Which is what was going to happen to Frank Vogel. He's now not on a month to month lease. He's on a day to day lease right now. A day to day. Any day now, the tenant might say, "Hey, man, I'm out of here. Peace out, bitches, and that's it. You're done." So it's a tough situation. I don't think anyone gets the best work done under this kind of gun. But I say this all the time, man. Yes, coaching is X's and O's. Yes, coaching is substitution patterns and ATOs and knowing opponent tendencies and preparation. All those things, yes, that's all part of coaching. But none of that shit matters if you don't have the locker room. And when you have a player like LeBron James, who is powerful and influential as he is, not just in the locker room, but in the organization and around the league. If you don't have his confidence, it's really tough to get this shit done, man. And ultimately, isn't that all coaching comes down to? Did you get them to do the shit they're supposed to do? If the answer is no, I don't give a fuck how smart you are, how prepared you are, how much film you watch, how great you are drawing up plays, your ATOs, your substitution patterns, your knowledge of analytics, your plus minus data. None of that shit matters if nobody wants to follow you. And there's a lot in this story. There's some really good details here from The Athletic. The fact that 
the locker room is is the thing that everyone's talking about that reportedly there are worries that he has lost the locker room, which to me is really just he has lost LeBron James. That's the locker room input because Anthony Davis isn't there. He's not playing like Russell Westbrook isn't running this team. If anything, he has Anthony Davis, even if he was healthy and playing, you think like he's he's the one that's going to lead the mutiny. And I think what's interesting about this story, too, is what happened over the weekend. A certain Lakers voice, prominent Lakers voice tweeted out after that Nuggets blowout. We as Lakers fans can accept being outplayed, but we deserve more than a lack of effort and no sense of urgency. Owner Genie Bus, you deserve better. Mm. By the way, Magic Johnson turned off his replies to that tweet. Did you notice that? Wow. It's funny because to me, looking at the Laker ambassadors, Magic and also uh, James Worthy, like they hear them feel so defeated and crushed. Like where they, it's not like, hey, we need to do better. It's kind of like, yo, this shit is not going to get, <laughs> they're realizing it's not going to get better. Uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of funny. Is that Magic trying to fire Frank Vogel there? Or is he putting pressure on LeBron? I think Magic is just being Magic, man. It's the same thing with Le- LeBron. What is LeBron doing when he says, I apologize and promise we'll be better? Are you apologizing? What are you apologizing for? What I read that is, A, it's the effort, whatever, that Magic is calling out. But B, LeBron James usually talks to the media. One of the most available people to the media when I covered the Miami Heat in that shitstorm of 2011, LeBron talked like three times a day to the media. He almost never skirts the media. Now, granted, I mean, remember that season, he only did the media postgame when Dwayne Wade was on the podium with him. Yes, buddy ball. Which was a way to kind of combat any sort of tough questions, handing it off to the person that had the least uh, pressure to talk about that subject. Anyway, um, LeBron didn't talk after that blowout. He left without talking to reporters. Not like him. And so LeBron tweeting that out, was probably about his effort during the game or the team's effort. My bad. We'll do better. But also he didn't talk to the media and that seemed like he was skirting his responsibility and accountability in that in that loss. Um, and I love Frank Vogel's quote afterwards, according to the story. Uh, I didn't see this, but Frank Vogel called that tweet by LeBron James and being great, a sign of great leadership. Nice. I love the game. <laughs> hey, what'd you think about LeBron's tweet? Oh, it was a sign of great leadership that he tweeted that out. Let's be right in between the lines the entire time, man. I love it. I love it. This is the best part of the NBA. I've always thought about like like when I was on The Jump and other shows, like you should have a segment just called like NBA translation. Yes. <laughs> like just like what, what this really means. Because Decoding the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. Frank Vogel saying that's great leadership. I was like, oh, thanks a lot, you son of a bitch. Really got, <laughs> got me. Right? Like, like through gritted teeth. He's just like, you motherfucker. I got damn it. Or even better, yeah. he's 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 a robot. Like he's been programmed to say it, and then he gets zapped back into reality after he says, he's like, that was a sign of great. Uh, uh, yeah, the sign of great leadership. Uh, thank you, LeBron James, for uh, leadership. Yep. That's what we thank were you. About. That was the word we're thinking of. Leadership. I knew it was something. It started with an L. <laughs> so, like, when you talk about the Lakers, it's 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 all of it. It's the championships. It's magic. It's There's a show that's coming out from Adam, Adam McKay about this this organization, Showtime. Like, there's so much more to this this team than your average, like, 
NBA team, right? There's so much drama. It is in, in Los Angeles. It is in Hollywood. It's a very much Hollywood organization. But to me, Frank Vogel is not the one to blame here. Frank Vogel can only do so much with the ingredients that he's been given to cook up a great meal. And this story comes out, yes, after they had a really good win over the Utah Jazz, but also there's no Anthony Davis on this team. He's been out for a long time and isn't due to be back for another few games. And what's interesting also is that Kurt Rambis, the shadow executive here, just Oh, the Rambi. The Rambi run the Lakers, ladies and gentlemen. He made it known, according to the report, he made it known throughout the organization that uh, essentially things have got to be better. Um, and there was pressure from Frank Vogel to perform or else. And then he got out with COVID. <laughs> so it's amazing. The uh, Frank Vogel was out with COVID from December 19th to the 31st. He was out for two weeks. But apparently the the organization like was thinking about letting him go right before that. And then they can't really fire someone in the middle of a COVID protocol. Uh, and David Fisdale like, did not do very well in his interim uh, subbing in. And so then they go on a four-game win streak, and it took one loss, this this like Nuggets blowout, which is a bad – it was a bad loss. That was about 37. But enough to get him fired? I don't know. Here's what I would say about Frank Vogel, because I don't want to make it seem like Frank Vogel has been perfect and everyone's picking on him. Yes, the, the groceries were not ideal as far as what they got. But I think there were two things – that they needed to be able to do. One was, you to have the semblance of a functional defense. Like, it doesn't have to be elite as it has been in Vogel's first two years, but it can't be what it was, which at one point they were like bottom bottom five in the league defensively. They've gotten better since then. They're middle of the pack, which I think is, like, that's expected. Given the roster being 18th or 17th in defense or whatever they are, Right, LeBron's been starting at the five. That's par for the course. That's what you should be, right? But then you look at the offense, and the offense has been terrible. And that typically is something that never happens, right, on LeBron James' teams, right? If you go through year by year, Tom, like the offensive ratings of of LeBron James' teams, obviously last year they had a bunch of injury issues, so they were – they weren't great. They were bottom bottom third, I think. But the championship year, they were 11th, right? The year before that, a team, again, a year that LeBron missed a lot of time, they were bottom third. Then in Cleveland, we know in those four years in Cleveland, they were a top five offense, right? Or at least top 10. And then Miami, that was a top five offense. And then Cleveland before that, that was a top five offense, right? And so... The idea that now LeBron's playing, but they have problems manufacturing points, that's problematic, right? That's number one. But he didn't sign Russell Westbrook, right? Like it's I like get you're it. on a you're an episode of chopped and they're like, All right, take this like ribeye steak. Sure. And now I'm gonna throw in gumdrops. And also I'm gonna give you some habaneros. And it's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I can't make a, a, an amazing meal out of that. Sweet and spicy hanger steak. Thank you very much. Actually, sounds pretty good. <laughs> Here's the problem, Tom. Yes, he wasn't the one that went out and got Russell Westbrook, but you got Russell Westbrook. And you have to know, just by knowing Russell Westbrook's game and everything, like, look, these two guys together, not going to work. 
you, you do the old okie doke of like you start with it and then like when it doesn't work your adjustment is all right how do i stagger how do i stagger and then the other part is understanding russell westbrook needing a specific set of variables to be in play for him to be effective the way houston discovered this the way washington discovered this it's like stop trying to make him something that he's not right just let him be and find those moments where he's got uh free reign to be russell westbrook and avoid making those moments happen with lebron at the same time that hasn't happened uh even when lebron was out they weren't able to get russ in a comfort zone and i think that that's that's part of the job again like part of the job is man i got i've got to make do with what i have and we you know all the internet jokes about russ or whatever you know he's not a terrible player right we know that again in washington and in houston they were able to build at least 500 programs right when he plays when he plays and the circumstances are right even when bradley beals out hey we're winning games enough games to say all right lebron has been out but it's okay like we're not going to be winning at a great clip but we're also it's not gonna the shit's not gonna hit the fan that hasn't happened in la right what's happened is when lebron plays we're barely a 500 team when lebron doesn't play the shit hits the fan and and so you know i i i don't know what part of that that frank vogel could be doing better and again maybe it goes back to does he have the the trust and support of the locker room well i can't blame the players for not having trust in their coach at this point when the organization doesn't seem to have his back either right so it's all it's all in intertwined here right it's all connected where um when mike budenholzer who was coaching for his job in many ways i think the narrative on mike budenholzer last season was if he doesn't produce, if they flame out in the playoffs again and Giannis doesn't reach farther in the playoffs, then the Mike Budenholzer's not long for the for this world in, in Milwaukee. But when he wins the championship, what do the Milwaukee Bucks do? They give him a five, a three-year extension that would give him through 2025. So he already had uh, this season on the books and they gave him a three-year uh, extension immediately after winning the title. Immediately after winning the title in 2016, Teron Liu, who is basically an interim head coach and looking for an extension, got not a three-year extension, but a five-year extension after winning the 2016 championship. And then Nick Nurse, he received a four-year extension a year after he won the title. And then there's all sorts of weird fallout with Warren Legary and all that with that extension and Andy Miller. But besides that, the point is, even if you wait a year to extend your championship winning head coach, Nick Nurse got a four-year extension after that. And Frank Vogel, who already has a long tenure in the NBA, it's not like Nick Nurse had, had the same situation. He got the benefit of the doubt, four-year extension, and Frank Vogel, a year out, got one. Just looking at that, it just feels like this is not a very functional franchise heading into the season. Well, let me play devil's advocate. Is 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 it right to expect a long-term extension after winning a championship? Like to lock into someone, especially if it's someone that you had questions about. And, you know, Nick Nurse is one thing, but I was thinking really about the example of, of Bud in Milwaukee. 
where you're right, middle of the playoffs, they were talking about Rick Carlisle going to take over. I think about that and I say, if you have all these question marks about Bud, about being inflexible, about, you know, not being uh, versatile enough in terms of game planning and matchups and adjustments, but you win a championship, did that erase those doubts? Or do you still have those doubts, right? Do we still wonder whether he can adjust when someone X's and O's them, right? Mid, mid-series. And especially when you say, okay, every championship, as you've noted in the past, Tom Abishore, ha- has an asterisk on it. Throughout history, every single one has an asterisk because something happened here, something happened there. So I do say that, okay, so yeah, sure, Milwaukee's asterisk was, Kevin, you know, the Nets weren't fully healthy and Kevin Durant stepped on a, on a line by a toe in a game seven. And then Trey Young gets hurt. And then in the finals, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are both hurt. And so that's how you win a championship, right? So what you're saying is we're praising these teams for ext- giving these big extensions to championship winning head coaches. But is the thought process that goes into that extension sound? Right. Is that sound? Maybe the Lakers are actually doing something. It's a dumb and dumber. Right. Just when I thought you couldn't do anything dumber, you go ahead and do this. And totally redeem yourself. Like that's what they that's what the Bucks did, right? I'm not calling Bud a bad coach or the wrong coach or not or undeserving one. But I'm saying if you had questions about him before the playoffs and during the playoffs, and then it all ended up okay, not because he made all these crazy adjustments, but because like the circumstances of things happening that I, I accept happen to everybody on route to a, a championship then how can you be three more years of this confident after that? And so for the Lakers, yeah, Tom, on some level, I say, hold up now. The guy got like in the first year, okay, we're in the bubble, and we now know that there were players who played better in the bubble, shot better in the bubble specifically, and the Lakers were the uh, a massive beneficiary of that phenomenon from Anthony Davis. Um, we also had, and it's we can't ignore this, right? LeBron James has been hurt as a Laker in two out of his three years. You know what the difference was in the third year, the one where he didn't get hurt? Won a championship. Well, yes, he won a championship. But also, you, like in terms of what was different about that season versus the other two seasons. Forget about the result. Like what was different about that season? What's that? He had a five fucking month break. That's important. That's worth noting that when you say, oh, man, we won a championship when everybody was healthy and LeBron was healthy and LeBron's not injury prone and his age has nothing to do with it because look how great he's playing. It There is something to it. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, he didn't get hurt in 2019, 2020 because he had a five fucking month break and they were going balls to the wall with that guy, if you remember. Remember, because it was them in Milwaukee, and they were trying to win every game, and LeBron was playing defense in the regular season for the first time in at least seven years, and it was like, who is this guy? There was a lot of effort going in, and then March, everything ends, and we come back, you know, late July, early August, and yeah, man, like, a refresher, and then what happens? He gets a short offseason, and he gets hurt in the following year, and here we are again. He gets hurt again, right? And so these are the things. Now, I know people say, well, it's an ankle and there's a freak injury or whatever. But the reality is, like, 
you have to accept that the circumstances of the championship year have an asterisk on them, not so much because they were in a bubble, but because you gave a 36-year-old man a five-month break in the middle of the season. And for a superstar like that, for a guy as talented as him, where the only limitations I have are how tired I am or am I hurt, then that is all the difference. So if you're the Lakers and you're sitting back and say, yeah, he won a championship, but, I mean, he went balls to the wall with LeBron the entire season plus a five-month break. So you can see how internally there can be moments of like, I'm not confident in this dude. Man, we went through it in Phoenix when uh, we hired Terry Porter and at All-Star break, I want to say we were 28 and 23, right? So not where we wanted to be, but also we it wasn't like we weren't the, this year's Orlando Magic or whatever or the Houston Rockets. Like we were okay. Well, I like how you just like had to throw in the Houston Rockets there. Like you felt bad about the Orlando Magic. One from each conference. Oh, okay. You're trying to you're trying to be impartial and not yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 So but we knew Tom. Tom, we knew in training camp we've made a terrible mistake. It was arrested development. I've made a huge mistake. And then so then what ends up happening is you get this situation where you keep telling yourself maybe it'll change. Maybe it'll get better. This is just the beginning. Oh, man, how can you judge someone off of a couple of weeks or whatever, you know? But the the deeper you go into it, the more you realize, oh, man, this isn't the guy for the job. Maybe the Lakers were thinking that as early as Vogel's first year. But you win a championship, and it's like, okay, now what I do? It, it happened in Toronto when Brian Colangelo came in, and Sam Mitchell was the coach, and Brian didn't want Sam. He wanted someone else, right? He wanted his own pick. But then Sam wins coach of the year. It's like, damn, well, I can't fire him now because he's been successful and the play of the locker room is responding. And so, but what do you do though? Coach of the year has been so annoying for, because coach of the year is an award where the media says my bad. Yeah. It's the my bad media award is when they don't have the high expectations for your team. You outperform expectations and you say, my bad, mea culpa. Here's the, here's our, our, our sorry. You either won a shit ton of games, right? You won 69 games and everyone's like, ooh, very, very impressive. Or you, oh, I didn't know you guys could win that many games. Like you won 42 instead of the 12 we thought you'd win, right? We thought you guys were garbage, but actually you had a pretty good year. Here's a coach of the year award. Make you feel better about us. And then, I, I mean, if you look at the actual like roster, the history of coach of the year awards, Man, that's almost a curse. You think it's a blessing, but oh, no, no. it's a lot of what you're describing. Alvin Gentry said, I hope I never win Coach of the Year because it's like that's the, the kiss of death right there. You win Coach of the Year, and usually within two or three years, you're, you're done. You're like, that's so crazy. But I guess I didn't bring up Sam Mitchell as an example because of the Coach of the Year curse. I brought him up as an example of he showed competency. And when there is management that hires a coach or has a coach that they're not confident in, the number one thing they're looking for is a lack of competency. So they can say, oh, oh not, can't do it. Let me get him out of here, right? It's, it has less to do with the actual performance and more to do with the confidence or lack thereof that the front office has in the coach. LeBron doesn't take this negative scrutiny very well. I remember 
he tried to be the villain in the 2011 season, his first year in Miami, but it didn't suit him very well. And he admitted as much as that like playing the villain is not his forte. It's only a forte for like a small select few of us in this world, including the one I'm talking to is that relishes being the villain, Darth Amin. Who, me? For LeBron, I don't know how to interpret this Utah game, right? Mm-hmm. Where they beat Utah, you would think if he lost the locker, if Frank Vogel truly lost the locker room, mm-hmm. wouldn't you think they would lay down in this Utah game too? It'd be an easy opponent to lay down to. One of the best teams in the league. One of the best off- sure. offenses we've seen in a long time. But LeBron James, Dwight Howard, and Russell Westbrook, they played a great game. Well, I wouldn't say Dwight, but then Russ, maybe not. It's funny, first of all, that all of I'm, – I'm looking at kind of like the game flows, and Dwight did get the start there. But but, they, but the, the Lakers, the bench really carried them in this game. Yeah, but I, I guess what I'm saying is Rudy Gobert – Right, all of his his uh, positive stints in this game happened when Dwight Howard was on the floor, and then as soon as Dwight was off the floor, motherfucker was terrible. Right, like as soon as the Lakers said, "Hey, you know what? We're going with a lineup of you know LeBron at the five and Stanley Johnson at the four. Like, <laughs> that was that, it. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that was, was it. it. Uh, but as far as the effort level, I think LeBron has a sense of pride. And I think he understands that the court of public opinion, particularly the talk shows, they're not going to say Frank Vogel messed this up. They're going to say LeBron laid down. And so on some level, on some level, I think that's why you get that kind of effort to come out. You remember when that first couple of weeks in Miami, oh, yeah, there was a report, I think Chris Broussard reported like within the first couple of weeks of the season that... The players were getting uh, annoyed by how hard the practices were mm-hmm. and that they, they were talking about removing Eric Spolstra uh, to be the head coach. They wanted to fire Eric Spolstra. But from what I gather about that situation was I think what LeBron realized, like if he fires Eric Spolstra or if he's upset about the way practices are being held, everything's going to be on him. That situation was different because as the story goes, he went up to see Pat Riley. And he said, t- he asked Pat, don't you ever get the itch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. basically trying to, like, yeah, man, don't you want to do this shit again? And Pat Riley, like, famously leaned over the desk and said, I'd never get the itch. Like, he just, like, let him know right then and there, expose our guy, deal with it, right? Yeah. The funny thing that I don't know if this part of the story has been as out there as that, you know, that one everyone's heard of. The other part was that, like, they were complaining about the practices, and LeBron was like, yeah, man, like we should get Spo out of here and get Pat Riley down here. And Dwayne Wade was like, no, you don't <laughs> want that. Like, you think the practices are bad now? Like, shit, man. Like, you start having, like, PTSD from, like, his early years when Pat was the coach. So I think there's, you know, that situation, it was a combination of um, Pat Riley not letting that door be opened and also, like, Dwayne Wade saying, like, this thing that you think you want, trust me, you don't want it. Be careful what you wish for, LeBron. Exactly, yeah. Like, it's like if you're saying we need a different coach, that's one thing. If you're saying that we need that dude to coach, I'm telling you right now, it's not what you think it's going to be. But elsewhere, we've seen LeBron flex that weight, flex that muscle, right? When the Cavs, when he left the Cavs the first time, and you had Mike Brown, I just gotten done winning 127 games in two seasons. 
and the, the LeBron wasn't talking to the Cavs. And the Cavs are like, well, how can we make it better? It's the coach? The coach? Fuck it. Fire the coach. We fired the coach for you. Now what? Like, like they did, you know, that was him by silence, by virtue of silence, basically impacting what happened when he was in Cleveland. Him openly defying David Blatt through a year and a half. The fact that David Blatt lasted as long as he did in that job is a, is a real testament. A year and a half is a long time, yeah. If you really think that LeBron runs these teams, that one flies in the face of that. Is that LeBron sticking it out with David Blatt for as long as he did. That does that, Do not file that in the LeBron GM. He's done it both ways, I guess what I'm saying. He's done it like he's leaned on it and he's not leaned on it. But what he's never done, Tom, is he's never laid down. He'll fucking defy you and, and passive-aggressive you in the media and in the tweets and all that shit. But what he won't do is, like, give a horseshit effort in order to get you up out of here. Um, now, he's given horseshit effort for other reasons. <laughs> he might take a two-week break in the middle of the season yeah. just to, like, right. get his back all figured out. Yeah. So, I mean... They got a six-game road trip coming up. They have a home game against the Pacers, and then they go at Orlando, at Miami, at Brooklyn, at Philly, at Charlotte, at Atlanta, and then they come back for uh, for a home game against Portland. I mean, that's going to be tough. That is going to be a tough road trip with with all this swirling around your head for Frank Vogel and the, and the Los Angeles Lakers to deal with all the scrutiny game by game, coaching for your life, and you got at Miami, at Brooklyn, I guess, without KD, without Kyrie, then at Philly, at Charlotte, at Atlanta. Not the hardest two games to finish out your road trip, but it's going to get a lot tougher. <laughs> anniversary this week oh yeah yeah the denver nuggets on january 23rd 1998 tied the single season record of 23 consecutive losses set by the expansion vancouver grizzlies in 95 96 that grizzlies team by the way is real funny because as i said it's an expansion team and they literally won their first two games they were two and oh and then they proceeded to lose 23 games in a row after that so they're at the process sixers where Michael Carter Williams. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I stand corrected. That losing streak actually happened later that season for the Grizzlies. <laughs> the one I'm talking about, they they lost 19 in a row after starting 2 and 0, and then later that year to end the season, they lost 23 in a row. So, shout out to being on the the uh, leaderboard twice, <laughs> two separate times in the same goddamn season. How about that? Man, I, I had big hopes for a big country, man. Big country, Bryant Reeves coming into the league, a sensation over at uh, Oklahoma State. Yo, I'm going to ask a question, and I don't mean to be rude. Is he still alive? Yeah. We haven't heard anything. You know what? It's time. We have to figure out what Bryant, Bryant Reeves is doing these days. What's he up to? 
What is Big Country up to? All right. Where is Bryant Reeves now? People ask. What happened to former NBA lottery pick Big Country Bryant Reeves? I'm looking at – I'm very I'm very nervous right now. I'm at sport, sportscasting.com. Sportscasting.com. It's like Stugatz. You know how they get you on these like sites or at the bottom? There's always that like spammy links at the bottom with like a really gross finger or something like that. Like, oh, that – my my link's always like these two guys are disrupting a two billion dollar industry. Learn how, you know. I always get those or like uh uh New York housewife discovers cure to almost every ailment using only natural products. Whoa, okay. Wow. There's an ESPN documentary called Finding Big Country. I mean Really? When did this come out? Searching for Bobby Fisher, but it's searching for Bryant Reeves. This story when Bryant Reeves left in the NBA in 2001, he really left. While a lot of guys will show up to a game here and there or give a random radio interview or go into coaching, big country was just gone. Nobody seemed to be able to find him, not even his old teammates. In the mid-2010s, a filmmaker from Vancouver, Cat Jamie, set out to find Bryant Reeves. This is exactly what you were talking about. I wonder what Bryant Reeves, she had the same thought. She'd watch him growing up and absolutely loved him. Again, most times it was hard not to. She received a $100,000 grant that allowed her to really pursue her goal of tracking down her basketball hero, a pursuit that ended successfully. Jamie premiered her 43-minute documentary aptly titled Finding Big Country in 2018, and about midway through the film, there's Bryant Reeves. Never a fan of the spotlight, Reeves simply went back to Oklahoma following his NBA career and is now a cattle farmer and a family man. Yes, he wishes his basketball career had been longer, but he's perfectly content with his life. I mean, I feel like we need to watch this movie. How do we get our hands on Finding – have you looked it up, Finding Big Country? No, I haven't. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still getting some fun facts here about some of these losing streaks. Finding Big Country – 17 years after controversial Vancouver Grizzlies star Big Country Bryant Reeves leaves town, superfan Cat Jamie goes on a mission to find her childhood hero and tell his story. Love this. <laughs> the star, the IMDb.com star is Barry Trammell. <laughs> Barry Trammell. Shout out to him. Columnist, right? Oklahoma? Yeah, he's the one who said um, the Kevin Durant. Yeah, oh, Mr. Unreliable. Mr. Unreliable. Back to the epic futility. That single season record was 23. It, as we said, tied the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies at the time. Since then, there have been two more single season streaks where a team lost a ton of games in a row, right? Uh, and surprise, surprise. Can you name who those two teams are? I'm going to say Cavs after LeBron left. Yes, that season. And then... I will say, by the tone of what you were saying, I'm guessing it's Bulls after Michael Jordan left. No. Second time. No, you know what? It's funny. The Bulls never lost that many games in a row. They weren't very good. Also, there were only 50 games that season, the first season after Jordan left. So it would have been tougher for them to do that. No, it's it's a more obvious one. The Hornets? More obvious than that. The Bobcats? The Bobcats were over, not single season. They're up there. If we just go in consecutive losses, the Bobcats had a similar streak, but those were uh, spread out over two years. So who's the other team? So it's the Cavs in 2010-2011 season. I would thought you would have, of all people, Tom, that you would trust the process. Oh, I mean, I already said it. I already said it. No, you didn't. I already said it with the Grizzlies in 96. You said, started two games, and I said the process. 
It's just like the process. They won like three games to start the season. Michael Carter-Williams averaging a triple-double, beat the Miami Heat. And then yeah. I, I thought you would have said, oh, Tom, you already said this one. But I, in my head, I mean, I already crossed them off the list because I already said it. As you would imagine, all these teams were, were pretty freaking terrible. But if you want consistency, so these are the three longest streaks of single-season losing streaks. My favorite fact about this is two of those three the slump buster was the Clippers. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, you're the Clippers. So starting with that Denver Nuggets team, they were 3-37, and and they went into this game January 24th, 1998, against the Clippers. The previous game, Tom, that they had played right before this win was a 16-point loss to Phoenix. That was coming off of a previous loss to that, a 20-point loss to Detroit where they only scored 67 points. So it's like, it, you know, the Nuggets are firmly and thickly in, we're a piece of shit team. What did you just say? Firmly and thickly, thickly in. <laughs> yes, thick shit. You're a piece of shit. Can't just wage your way out of this. You are bogged down. <laughs> it wasn't shit I was thinking of, firmly and thickly. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. They traveled to L.A. Right, This is on the road. A team that has won three games out of their first 40 that season to face the Clippers, who admittedly weren't good either. They were 10-32 and 32 going in that game. But they're at home. They're at home. And this team has just been shellacked. This team is already in a dog shit year. He's going to L.A. They're going yeah. to L.A. What are the chances that they show up? Going to L.A. Yeah. with a night off before that. So, like, they did L.A. things. These assholes... Clippers lost by 18 points. They got annihilated, right? They let Johnny Newman and Anthony Goldwater, shout out to my guy Goldie, just get whatever they wanted out there. It was unbelievable. The Clippers starting lineup. You ready for this, Tom? Let's hear it. At one guard from UCLA, Derek Martin. Hmm. Never trust someone with two first names. Go ahead. Yep. At the other guard from Nebraska. Let me see if you can if I can give you hints. Can you guess who these guys are? No, I'm I'm very bad at this game. This is this is why I'm on the other side of the table. This is why you do the trivia. Eric Pajkowski, the Polish oh. rifleman. Shout yes. out to my guy Pike. At one forward from Cal, Lamond Murray. The other forward. Well, actually, you know what? I'll say the other forward last. The center was Stojko Rankovic. Who could forget? All right, Tom, I got your Tom's trivia for you right here, all set up. Wait, so you're taking my Tom's trivia here? All right. Fine, fine, fine. I'll let you have the, the mic on this one. It's funny because you're not good at trivia. The fifth starter on that Clipper team, forward out of Wake Forest. Who was it? For the Clippers in? In 98 or 97. Oh. Roy Rogers. Close. You got the last name. Sorry, Roy Rogers. What? I said Rodney. Yeah. Roy Rogers. Rodney Rogers. Are there any Roy Rogers still in existence? There is. One of them's an assistant. Well, he was an assistant coach with the Rockets. Roy Rogers played in the league. He was a big man. He played with uh, Vancouver, actually, of all teams. And he's he was an assistant on Mike D'Antoni's staff in Houston. I don't know where he's at now. No, I was saying like Roy Rogers, the restaurant. Oh, that the restaurants. Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. I don't know why I went into Deep Boy Rogers now. But yeah, they scored 81 points against this team that was one of the worst teams in the league, one of the worst teams. Nuggets' defensive rating that year was 29th out of 29 teams. Yeah. <laughs> you lost to them. Now, fast forward 
all the way to uh, the year 2011. And the Cavs are on their record making streak of 20 or the 26 losses in a row in the same season. And the Clippers come to town. The Cavs are eight and 45. The Clippers are 20 and 32. Again, not a great team, but clearly better than like better than the eight and 40, the 45 team, right? Uh, the Cavs starters that night, JJ Hickson, Antoine Jameson, Anthony Parker, Ramon Sessions, Christian Iyengo. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, starters of the Clippers. And when I say the starters, you're going to be like, wait a second. Baron Davis, Randy Foy, Blake Griffin, Ryan Gomes, DeAndre Jordan, and Eric Bledsoe came off the bench, as did Ike Diago and Al Farouk Aminu. I'm sorry. You guys should not be losing to a team that lost 8 billion games in a row. It just shouldn't happen. That's incredible. In 2014, when the 76ers were on a 26-game losing streak, they beat the Detroit Pistons. Pistons, yeah. By 25. I mean, you go from losing 26 straight to winning by 25. Holy Not just winning by 25. I say this with no disrespect in my heart, but these are not NBA players. Thad Young, cool. You're awesome. Michael Carter-Williams, cool. You're awesome. Henry Sims had 16 points and seven rebounds. Henry Sims is not an NBA player. He will literally, his NBA career is basically because Philadelphia needed players that weren't good. I watched Henry Sims at Georgetown. I, I watched him in the league. He wasn't a good player, not on NBA standard. James Anderson, Hollis Thompson, Elliot Williams, Tony Roten, Jarvis Varnado, Casper Ware, Brandon Davies, Brandon Davies, who I was talking about the other day, he's, he's a kid that got kicked out of BYU. Who fucking. <laughs> and James Nunnally. Like, that's not, that's not a team you can lose to, let alone lose to by double digits. Just ridiculous. By the way, the, that Pistons team, Greg Monroe, Andre Drummond, Kyle Singler, Josh Smith, Brandon Jennings, Man. KCP, Rodney Stuckey, Jonas Jarebko, like these were guys that were rotation players in the league everywhere. Will Bynum, like, I don't know, man. Sometimes this shit really trips me out. Like the the teams that teams lose to. It's like they lost 26 in a row, man. How could you fuck this up? What do you say in the locker room after that? Any given night, I mean, in this league, next man up, whatever cliche you want to throw around in the league, that's the one. Any given night. Any given night.